0: but when you can empower someone and tell them who they are and the the greatness that they are destined for and when you watch that light inside of them, that fire ignite um, and get to watch them do incredible things that change not only their lives but their families or their communities it's so worth it.
1: Teachers, I believe, are the most responsible and important members of society because their professional efforts affect the fate of the earth. Australian physician and author Helen Keldicott said this, and I believe it. I have the utmost respect for teachers. They are the underpaid, underappreciated, and overworked heroes that we should all take much better care of than we currently do. Oddly enough, I was just thinking about this early this morning when I dropped my girls off at school. Every morning, there are three, four, five teachers waiting to receive my daughters at their school when I drop them off at 7.40 a.m., which means they get there much earlier. I saw one of the teachers greet each student by name as they walked by her and into the school. Teachers, you're amazing. A huge virtual hug to each and every one of you today. Do you know who else believes the contents of the aforementioned Caldecott quote? Kara Bryant, my guest on the podcast today. Kara teaches at the Village Leadership Academy in Chicago, Illinois. VLA is an elementary school that offers a fresh new perspective and approach to teaching and learning that includes high academic standards, exposure to world history and geography, appreciation for cultural differences, the development of critical thinking and perspective taking skills, and socially just decision making. You remember when I said this is an elementary school, right? Amazing. In our conversation, we talk about the challenges of teaching in an urban context, the joys of teaching in an urban context, training tomorrow's leaders, why she became a teacher in the first place, and so much more. I had a blast chatting with Kara, and I know you're going to love getting to know her through our conversation today. So without further ado, this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. My name is Nick LaPara, and this is my conversation with amazing human and badass woman, Kara Bryant. Tara Bryant, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you so much for being here. You're in town from Chicago. Yes. We got to connect. Our mutual friend, wit connected us. I'm so glad she did. As I've been doing more research, I'm so excited to talk to you <laughs> for a lot of reasons. First of all, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Yeah? Thank you. Yeah. Loving yeah? Nashville.
1: Enjoying Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Nashville kind of your like vibe? Ish?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I feel like there are lots of different vibes down here, but there are, there I, are. I like it, I like it. Now how
1: about the heat? Let's talk humidity for a second. I'm struggling
0: with the heat a yeah. little. it's. Not, I mean, it gets
1: hot in Chicago as well, that, but but this is different.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't last very long in Chicago. Right, so.
1: exactly. I've lived in several, well, I've lived all over the world, but like most recently several cities where it got hot and it got humid, but it would stick around for, most recently Tacoma, Washington, just south of Seattle, And we had, like, a week or two in the entire summer where it just felt uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Not even
1: this. Like, just a (laughs) little uncomfortable. You're like, oh, that doesn't feel too good. Let's stay inside. Uh, But here, it's literally from June until, I mean, end of, I don't know. This is our first summer here. So we'll see end of August. Yeah. Not enjoyable.
0: No. (laughs) Uh,
1: But anyway, Nashville's a great city. We don't want (laughs) to. Not trying to trash you, Nashville. Um, Yeah, so we have got so much to talk about. Let's begin with some of your story, though. Before we get into your work and, you know, the reason that Whitney connected us and the things we're going to talk about, let's find out what makes you tick. Uh, Go back as far as you want to, people, places, things, anything that'll give us a glimpse into how you ended up doing the things you do and who you are today. So based on that, go as long or as short as you want to. Just give us some insight. All right.
0: Cool. Thanks. Um, so I grew up in a small town in Illinois and had a really good life. I mean, you know, had my struggles that everyone, everyone has their struggles, you know, so I, I did, but I really lived a life of privilege and didn't recognize that didn't couldn't even tell you what privilege was. Um, at a young age, but I had everything I needed plus some. My family and I did the summer road trips down to Florida or wherever. And my school was amazing. We had a great public school system. I got to do a lot of really cool things and activities, had great opportunities. So, um, yeah, I had this, this wonderful life overall um, and didn't really know anything different. Lived a pretty sheltered life. I knew when I was young, though, that my faith was super important to me, and mm. so that was something that I, I I looked at Jesus and I loved the compassion that I saw in him, and I said that's I want that,
1: mm. you know,
0: I want my life to exude compassion for people, and so um, fast forward many many years later, and I'm 20 years old, and I went on my first trip to Africa, and I remember really. <laughs> facing my privilege for the first time Mm. on that trip in Africa. Um, Obviously, poverty and opportunity, you know, looking at those things and looking at all of the opportunity that I had in my life and all of the material things, but then also really looking at this, like, Western privilege or white privilege and having to look at that in the eye as I had um, some young African men come talk to me and basically tell me that I wasn't welcome in their village. Hmm. And here I was thinking, oh, I have great intentions, like compassion. You know, I'm here, like doing these good things and really had to start to ask myself some real questions about what good am I doing here? Like what good am I forming relationships with these people? Or, you know, what is this trip really about? And so I feel like that was the first time in my life that I really thought about privilege and what is privilege, what do I have um, and what do I want to do with it?
1: Real quickly, so those young men—did they give her? Why didn't they want you around? They had seen so many of you come through, and it was just like, okay, we know that they might have certain intentions for being here, but it doesn't deliver.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And you know, they commented on, I had on a white shirt and it was very white. And so they commented on that. I, I remember I had like fake diamond earrings in, and they commented on my diamond earrings and um, complimented me or what I, what I thought was a compliment at first. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And then I realized that this was actually like a condescending, like, look at you, you know, coming over here clean and beautiful coming to the poor African village, you know, with that, they, like you said, there'd been others that had come before me. And, um, I think that it didn't leave a good taste in their mouth, you know, with those people leaving. So, um, yeah, so that was the first time that I really thought about those things. And then, um, I was in Swaziland, or what was formerly known as Swaziland, mm-hmm. a few years later. And I had really been praying, God, would you show me where my greatest gifts and passions meet? Like, mm-hmm. where do they meet, and what does that look like for my life in this world? Taking all the things I care about the most, you know, that compassion, but then also bringing in this critical thinking of, mm-hmm. you know, asking hard questions and asking um, questions about my identity. And I remember I prayed so hard for three days. And then there was this one day that, I mean, it changed my life. I'll never forget it. I was in a preschool hut with some friends and we were painting resources on the walls of this little hut and the school next door dismissed. And we were used to hearing them dismiss and the kids come out and play and scream and run around and play tag and things. And there was one day in particular that that happened, but the screams sounded different than we were used to hearing. Mm. And I waited a second, and then once I heard the screams continue and the intensity in the scream continue, I just felt my heart racing. And I could tell it was a child, and I could tell that this was not play, that there was something going on. So as I'm in this little hut running from window to window, I finally find um, outside of one of the windows a circle of maybe 20 children and in the middle of the circle there is a little girl and a little boy and the little girl is screaming and crying trying to cover her face while simultaneously trying to hold her dress down and this little boy is molesting her. and. I something in me just snapped and I mm. got into this mode that I didn't know I had inside of me and I flung the window open and I started yelling at this little boy to get his hands off of her you know this some crazy white woman yelling out of a window in in English And they all just stared at me and then ran Um, the circle of children that was surrounding the two children. They all ran off down the street. The little boy ran off and they all just left this girl in this field. Mm. And she was just kind of stumbling off, crying, holding her dress down and continuing to cover her face. And I just ran out there and, and I ended up spending the whole day with her, talking to her, talking to some adults in the area. And... I walked her home to find that he this little boy was her half-brother and he lived in the hut next to hers so I'm just you know dealing with this sickened yeah, lots by of this stuff to process yeah through there. yeah um, and I went back and I was working at a children's home that month and the director of the children's home invited me into her home to kind of process through what had happened and to find out more details. And as I was telling her, I watched her face change from um, concern to like discouragement and defeat almost. And she said, Kara, I'm sorry to tell you this, but nothing is going to happen. The reason why every adult that you told, the reason why they didn't respond the way that you expected is because this is a normal part of life for women and children in Swaziland. And that was the first time that I was face to face with this like systemic oppression and systemic um, injustice towards anyone. But, you know, it was like engraved in my mind at this point. And even though it wasn't my reality, I felt like I got to walk into the reality of this young girl. And so she will forever be, you know, in my heart and that story and. And yeah, I I see her face in Mm. other children and yeah. So that, I mean, that day was unreal and it really showed me, okay, this is where my passions and my gifts meet. I want to empower young people to change norms and get out of get help to get their communities out of systems and cycles of oppression injustice, and poverty so really getting that piece of wait this i want i want to be there for the children i want to empower them to change their communities so that kind of brought me to yeah. where i am so, now so
1: was that when you decided i'm going to get out of my were you in chicago already or was that when you decided i i need to go to the city there's I mean there's obviously a ton of it there and we'll get into you know a little more about who Chicago is and what that means Um, but was that when you decided to head that way or were you already there
0: I was not there Um, at this point I was overseas for about a year and a half hopping around to different places and that was the first time that Chicago did start to um, it was on my mind for the first time And it wasn't something that I did for maybe another year after that happened. But yeah, eventually that did lead me to Chicago.
1: You land in Chicago. Did you immediately start teaching or what what was that journey? What was that journey like?
0: I did. So I didn't really know a lot about Chicago. I'm from Illinois. It was really convenient for my teaching license And I had some friends there, and I knew that I could get involved in social justice issues in the city, even though I didn't really know what those social justice issues were. And did some research and found this school. I read the mission statement. The vision cried. I said, this is the only place I'm applying. This is where I want to work. And started teaching a few months later.
1: And is that at the Village Leadership Academy? It
0: is. Yes. This is where I work now.
1: So, and that was, how, how long have you been there? Three, couple few years?
0: Yeah, I'm about to start my fourth year.
1: Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So tell us about it. This, this school is amazing. It is, it <laughs> is. Uh, there's a lot that I want to get into, but start by just giving me, you said you read The Vision and The Mission. What What is The Vision? What is The Mission? What drew you so much? Because, you know, there's so many different types of schools, and really all schools need, you know, better teachers and more teachers, and we'll get into what that looks like in Chicago proper, but... What what was it about the mission and the vision that drew you? Like what what were you? What ideas came across? What words? What phrases? What what was coming across that you were like, this is it, this is where right. I need to be.
0: So we are a social justice school, and I didn't know what that meant, but that is definitely what drew me in at first. Like, uh, what is the social justice school? I don't know, but I want to be there. And I and is this a starting
1: in kindergarten? Like these are kindergarten, okay, yeah.
0: yeah, kindergarten through eighth grade. I saw the word social justice and empowerment, global citizenship, um, leadership, critical thinking and questioning, perspective taking. I started seeing these things and hearing the heart behind the the founders of our school talking about wanting to empower these young people to enact change in Chicago and globally.
1: The word leadership, Mm -hmm. um, that struck me because again, we're talking about you know, kindergarteners through eighth grade. So we're talking five, six years old through 13 or 14. Leadership, right? We don't typically put kids in leadership together in the same sentence, right? We like hope they'll become leaders someday. Uh, and maybe it's like a kind of a passive thing, like, hey, I'm, I'm raising leaders here, but we don't put it like, you you are part of a school that has leadership in the title. Like, tell me what that looks like. So what does leadership development look like there? You have five-year-olds, six-year-olds. They don't know which way is up. They can't dress themselves in the morning <laughs> yet. They can't make their own lunch. I mean, there's just a lot that they are still don't know about and haven't gone through. They're still processing through. I have a five- and a six-year-old in school, kindergarten, first grade. Um, so I know where they're at. They're very smart, intelligent, amazing girls. But they don't... Yeah, we don't typically put them, you know, plop the name leadership right. on top of that and then try to make leaders out of them. So what does leadership development look like for you, uh, for the students you teach, for the whole school?
0: That's a great question. So I started out teaching kindergarten and um, I teach fourth grade there now, but- okay really seeing our students and we're a smaller school, so I get to develop relationships with students ranging from kindergarten through eighth and looking at specifically that kindergarten year and really focusing on, we have our pillars of justice. And so we talk about empathy, respect, kindness, trustworthiness, and so on and so forth. Um, different values such as those really talking about those in our classroom, highlighting when we see students doing though or showing those values and doing a lot of perspective taking. We do peace circles. We will have a time for students to share how they're doing in different, um, different arenas of their life. You know, not just how are you good, but let's really think, how are you doing physically? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing, you know, spiritually? And, we go through these things with them, and I, I think that also we really underestimate young people a lot yeah, of times. My kindergartners, some of which were four, blew me away. And I think that young people are so, I, I mean, I learn so much from them all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was one kindergartner this past year, we were in an after school club for arts and crafts, and she said, oh, I just made the perfect mistake. And I was like, oh, that's so profound. <laughs> and I walked away, you know, thinking a lot about that. And they're so empathetic and so joyful. And they, my students wanted equality and fairness and they wanted our classroom to be a safe place. And so it was really easy to talk about those things and to talk about how they see them in the world or how they don't and how they see them in our classroom or how they don't. And if if they don't see those things in our classroom, what do we need to do as a community to come together and make those things Present, you know, whether it's fairness or kindness. So yeah, I think that they're very capable and just kind of going for it.
1: They are. I'm, I'm constantly surprised at how much I underestimate my <laughs> three kids who are four, five, and six. Wow. They're yeah, they blow me away. <laughs> right. Like our daughter Belle, who's in kindergarten. She loved like she loves school. Solis who's six. She's not super excited about school already in first grade. Like, she can take (laughs) it or leave it. She enjoys it. But Belle just loves it. And she can read at, like, a third grade level already. Like, even, like, since she was four. Like, she just gets reading. And the teacher is, was blown away at her reading level and is going to use her to help teach the kids this year. Mm. To, like... I don't know kind of like a teacher's aide kind yeah, of thing like she absolutely. came home to explain it or no my wife met the teacher in the hallway the other day and she was explaining like I'm, I'm going to use bell to help these like to encourage these kids about what's possible absolutely. you know so that's really exciting so yes we definitely underestimate who they are what mm-hmm. they can do what they can accomplish so how long has the school been around
0: um, somewhere around 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, so, give or take. So, We've developed a lot over time.
1: Right. So after eighth grade, what happens? Well, give me some context for like, where do these students go? What do they end up doing? I mean, they're obviously now in... Is this a public school? So is it public school? We're so private. Private. It's, yeah, private okay.
0: nonprofit.
1: Okay.
0: Um, our eighth grade students, they they kind of go all over the city to different schools. We they'll, Chicago is... Very intense with high school. You have to do applications, and there's a lot of different selective enrollment schools. And so our students really have gone to a variety of schools. We actually have only had I believe it's three graduating classes as well, so we haven't had a ton of. So even graders. kids that
1: started there, you know, they're in eleventh grade, right? At this point, right? Yeah.
0: So our very first class of, um, we do we have preschools as well. Gotcha. They started at the preschool and they went through eighth grade. Gotcha. They actually did a gap year program with us of internships, and then they went off to high school, and nice. that was two or three years ago. Yeah. So yeah, we haven't had a ton. We added we added grades as that class got older.
1: Private school. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids that need a school like this can't afford a private school. So how? So what? What is the kind of the funding model there to make sure that? Because I've seen, you know, I've watched videos and seen, you know, we're going to talk about some uh, this like. Bus or this train takeover that your students did, and like it's a lot of like it's a lot of minority kids, and so how does how does the funding work for something like this?
0: So one thing I love about our school is the way that we do funding. We are in an area of the city that is um, a pretty wealthy area. We've got a lot of like upper middle class families or upper class families that live in this area that can walk to school or drive a short distance to school, and then we also, which is unique to Chicago. Um, we mix things up socioeconomically. We have a very socioeconomically diverse population of families. We have a bus that comes out from the west side and mm. brings the majority of our students into downtown, into South Loop where we are. And um, those students, many of them are there with different grants or... Um, I, I Cannot speak exactly to how it all sure. works on the financial end, but yeah. they, they do have grants, they offer right. grants and things for these families to come. There are opportunities, bottom Absolutely. line, for these students yes, to stay. There still are opportunities, and it, it it really creates a cool environment where you have a diverse group of um, students when it comes to money and opportunity. And that's not really normal in Chicago, no. And, and, and
1: I bet. I bet if this was a public school, you know, like a charter school or some way funded, you wouldn't be able to take a social justice approach or right. kind of, yeah, do a lot of the initiatives and the things you're doing, Absolutely. right? Because they're going to hold you to a curriculum. Like, we. Yes. here's how we measure things. Here's how we get things done. So because you've figured out this, because uh, Village Leadership Academy has figured out this kind of interesting model and different ways of grants and funding it you guys can do whatever the hell you want.
0: We can. And we do. Which is great. We do. Yeah. Which is
1: great. Yeah. So there's a crisis going on. Let's talk about the city in which this academy lives. Chicago. Amazing city. I love Chicago. Gave a TEDx talk there last year. I try to go back whenever I can. It's a beautiful city. I mean, the food, the people, it's everything. Um, we lived in Minneapolis for 4 years. So oh, we were we were in Chicago quite yeah. a bit. I love I love it's Chicago. It's beautiful. Um but if you were to pay attention to certain things that are happening, you would think it's hell, right? right. You think, right? Mm-hmm. So any given weekend, especially during the summer, we're looking at 40, 50, 60, 70 people shot, uh, a quarter of those actually dying from the gun wounds or maybe more than a quarter. Like there's a, there's a lot of violence, yeah. right? And, you know, if you were to listen to our uh, president. You know, last year he said things like we need to the police aren't doing a good enough job. We need to get the military. And he's talking about military and tanks and shit like Mm -hmm, it's just, mm -hmm. whoa, what is going on right now? These are people. This is a city. And then you have the ever controversial uh, mayor, uh, (laughs) Rahm Emanuel, who wants to build this $95 million police academy. And, you know, already the police force in Chicago is a $4 million a day endeavor, right? right? $4 million right. a day to keep the CPC going, right? So you've got this whole thing and yet the violence is not going anywhere. Right. It's not going down. So that's not working, right? Like. Ninety-five million-dollar police academies, bigger police force, military tanks. That does, you and I both know this. These are systemic things that are happening. These are the city actually creating, pushing people. You know, you stay here. This is your area. This is your area. We'll keep these people over here. You get your. You know, and we're going to put you the people that don't have a lot of opportunity inside of food deserts right like so you all you have is your like corner store so your kids eat junk shit food and like you you know what i'm saying like absolutely the city is mm-hmm. very much set up that way it was literally created that way and partitioned off so that's the city you're in in your view you live there how do you fix that and what is village leadership academy's role in seeing that change you know in the future
0: yeah that is the million dollar question right? how do you fix that um it's something that we discuss Every day in our classrooms yeah. in VLA, Village Leadership Academy. And one way that we really try to approach those issues is through our grassroots campaigns. So every classroom, kindergarten through eighth grade, we all choose an issue. The students choose an issue in our city. And usually it, it is some something around that issue, whether it's redlining or food deserts or, you know, you could go on and on yeah. and on. Um, they'll choose an issue, and then we spend all year forming allies in the community, finding people that are already working for or against those topics. You know, whichever way you're looking at things, and then the students work together and create action plans and action steps, and we execute those actions throughout the year and give presentations. And so we have seen a lot of attention on our on our GRCs, our grassroots campaigns. And we've gotten a lot of, um, I think, I think we've made Rahm Emanuel nervous a few times, which has been fun and yeah. And we've, we've been able to over the course of time, since these have been going on in our school, we've been able to get more funding for different opportunities, especially with, um, working with homeless, um, the homeless population in Chicago and all kinds i mean all kinds of different like grants and things that we've been able to shift and so i feel like we're looking at things at um rather than this, this big overwhelming level of how do we fix this big problem but it's going in and finding those areas of um of opportunity for change and growth where we can Empower our students to bring change to their community, specifically where they live, and um, really looking at investment. I think that's the major thing that it comes down to. There you go. Is, you know, yeah, fighting investing for investment. In the long term. Absolutely.
1: So let's talk about a couple of these GRCs um, or, or just a couple things that have kind of gotten some public notice, right? To tell me what's going on. A few months ago, you tweeted out a video. Your kids on a train, mm-hmm. um, holding signs, saying stuff, which you're going to tell us what they said and what they were there for. Chance the rapper, whom I love, we love, he's a huge advocate. I'm, he makes the mayor nervous <laughs> all the time, and that's yes, good. And so, what were they? What was so impactful about what was going on that Chance said I needed to retweet this? And you know, it got a couple hundred thousand views on your video mm-hmm. there, right? Just just on Twitter alone. So, what was going on there? Um, because I think it's important to again note. These are not adults, right? Mm -hmm. You and I can sit down. We can find important topics. We can figure out how to, you know, we can put a plan together for like, we don't want to make like a little split. We want to be here for the long term. And here's how we're going to invest. Here's what we're going to do. And we can go after, right? Adults, we have that cognitive, you know, ability to like come up with a plan and stick with it. And okay, we're in this for the next two, three, five, 10, 15, 20 years. These are kids, right? Mm -hmm. Again, (laughs) what, how people think of kids, where we've pigeonholed children. Like, this is your thing. You go play, you go watch video games, you go watch TV, leave the other stuff, leave the changing the world to us. Right. So it's kids on a train doing this takeover, signs, speaking intelligently and articulately. So what was going on there in that video?
0: Yes, so that was an exciting day. So our classes, GRC this year, we were working towards essentially um, a redistribution of funding. As you mentioned earlier, Rahm Emanuel is trying to build a 95 million dollar cop academy on the west side of chicago in the same area where many schools have been shut down due to a yeah, lack of that's funding
1: what, and that's what that's what that's what sucks yes. four million dollars a day for police that aren't doing that aren't it's not working 100 million dollar cop academy mm-hmm. in the very place yes. literally a stone's away from places that are shutting down we don't have money for schools we can't keep this going we don't have money and you're like pulling your hair out like what the hell yeah are you kidding me it's Keep it's going. messed up. Yeah. But I, I, I forgot so, the part about like, yeah, oh, the schools are shutting down. Right,
0: right. It's not just the investment right. in, in the cop academy, but it's the disinvestment in the young yep. people in the community. Um, so yeah, we, we spent the year in my fourth grade class working to push back and say, no, we want funding for schools, not cops. And really... Um, We mostly being my students, you know, of course I support them and I support those views as well, but I wanted their voices to be the ones that were heard, which is definitely a value of all teachers at VLA. So what we found is most people had no idea that this was going on. Most people had no idea that this COP Academy was planned to be built. And, you know, a lot of people, Yeah, I mean, they just had absolutely no idea. They didn't know about... A lot of people in Chicago know about the schools being shut down. That's no secret. But as far as this Cop Academy, this was brand new news to many people. So we said, what can we do to spread this this information and share it with other Chicagoans? And my students felt very strongly about doing a train takeover. They had seen it done before. And so we got together. We made posters that said things... um, Some were catchy phrases and um, others were, you know, I want $95 million for schools, not cops, things like that. And then we got on the train and they read a script and in which, you know, we worked on this together. Mm -hmm. They helped to write this script and we, we informed people, but we wanted to keep it upbeat and fun. So they did their chance. I stood back and I took pictures and recorded for them. And they basically caused a little chaos on the, on the red line that day. And we got so many mm. people's attention and they were all about it. People had no idea and they wanted to hear more we passed out flyers they said can i get extra for my work
1: That's great. they were
0: you know they were taking pictures and videos of us to put on social media as well and yeah, yeah so it the was reach amazing. was
1: probably way more than you'll ever even find Absolutely. out right people taking it to their work be- right. becoming informed putting it on their facebook page their twitter it had a it had a huge reach. right? Yeah, I was wondering like obviously it got social media attention but like what was happening in the train forget the cameras like right. did people and it sounds like they did. They did. They did they respond did. to it.
0: And my students are so fun. You know, they're adding they clapping like and yeah. dancing and um and so people, you know, sometimes people would start dancing along with them or you know just being amazed. They were all am- they were all like wow. I'm like yeah, they're they're amazing. So, it was really cool.
1: And then Teen Vogue picked up the third graders uh, with this like lead awareness, right? The w- lead and water.
0: Teen Vogue picked up um, No, Crop Academy, no then, Cop Academy, and then yes, right. and then I think it was ABC. That's right. Yeah, ABC News picked up the lead, and actually, that was my students um, this past year. That was when they were in third grade, so they've, nice. got, they've gotten a lot of okay. Attention. So they're
1: they're <laughs> they're leading yeah, already. They right? are
0: absolutely leading.
1: That's amazing. Gosh, I've, well, for one, we're going to move to Chicago so we can put our kids <laughs> in that school. But uh, no, there's other places obviously doing stuff like this. But that's just real exciting. It is. I'm really excited for the work that you all are doing. Um, I have so much more that I want to talk about, but we need to keep this uh, under two hours. Uh, <laughs> well under two hours. Um So let's, let's move on. Let's, let's hear more about you. I want, I want to, so we heard about the work that you're doing. It's incredible. Everyone listening. I'll have that video that she, they shot in the train. It'll be in the show notes, all the links for VLA. They'll be in the show notes. You can look it up, but let's talk about you for a little bit. What makes you tick? What does the future look like? Like what you obviously give a damn, you give lots Mm -hmm. of dams and it (laughs) seems like it started, you know, in that 20 years old going overseas, but then it continued to develop and form even seeing, you know, really, effed up things like, you know, this girl, like that all, uh, you know, just kept growing this desire inside of you right now. You're working that out, at least for this season of your life, teaching at VLA in Chicago with these amazing kids. But what does, yeah, what makes you tick? Like what keeps you going? What, why do you give a damn? What's going to keep that like going in your life?
0: Yeah. (sighs) I love that question. Um, I think when I look back at the experience that happened in Swaziland. I think of this young girl how the world would see her as a victim and she she was victimized by that young young boy um and you could ask so many questions too about you know where did that come from it's you know society wide questions but i see so much more than a victim when i look at her you know i see i see a strong young woman i see a warrior i see I see so much and so much for her future. And, you know, I have no idea where she is now, what she's doing now. But I choose to see her in that light. And I think that, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in that, the idea of, People as victims, or to hold on to that mentality, but when you can empower someone yep. and tell them who they are and the the greatness that they are destined for, and when you watch that light inside of them, that fire ignite, um, and get to watch them do incredible things that change not only their lives but their families or their communities. It's so worth it. Mm. It. I mean, there's nothing like getting to see my young people in my class succeed. Mm. There's nothing like getting to watch them grow and develop and ask questions and challenge me and and challenge their families. And you know, parent-teacher conferences. I always have parents coming in being like, "My child," you know. They're Mm. asking me about food deserts. They're telling me we need to eat healthier foods. That's amazing. You know, it's 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 really amazing. Um, They make me better. And I I mean, it's yeah, I I love it. It's an honor to be to be their teacher, to get to be invited into their lives in such an intimate way and into their communities and then watch them excel. And so I think that that mentality is what makes me tick. It's what it makes me excited. It makes me feel empowered myself and um, just proud of these young people.
1: Now what about the future? Like do you do you envision yourself teaching continuing to teach in this sort of uh you know sort of an environment or do you want to parlay like what you're learning into some other thing later or like what's your ideal obviously we can't tell the future like right. we got an accident this morning like I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> right, you know right. but if you could kind of dictate what it's going to look like or at least you know move toward that what what does that look like for you?
0: That is a good question. I am not sure. I am very open. It's a fine place to be. But it is. Yeah, I feel good about it. I just feel like I have been learning so much and learning so much about my voice and um, my role in, um, in the world and in our country and in Chicago specifically. And I think that a lot of the conversations that I've been honored and privileged to be a part of need to happen other places. And so if that means being in in a community that maybe they don't ask some of these same questions, maybe they don't perspective take, maybe they don't challenge norms. And if I can be that person, then I'm open to that. So I'm not sure, we'll see.
1: You obviously, you know, you love Chicago, Illinois is your home, you love these kids. If you could print a flyer that made it to every home in Chicago, what would it say? Wow. What would it say? what what could you communicate in just a few words, a big headline, you know, you're invested, you wanna see things change. The change is obviously gonna come as a result of people like taking these, you know, issues seriously. People on both ends, you know, the perpetrators and the the other people, you know, like it's, there's so much going on in a city like that. And so what would you, like, if you could just get a message across to your neighbors, your friends, your strangers uh, in Chicago, everyone gets this flyer that you write up and what would it say?
0: You know, I have no idea how I would be able to put this in words that would um, carry the passion I would want them to, but knowing, I, I would want to communicate something about the unity that Um, that I want us us to have in the city, and with that unity, the change that could happen, and getting to know your neighbor, getting to know your neighbor, and Chicago shouldn't mean getting to know the person next door, because, you know, they're probably in a similar situation as you, as far as socioeconomic, and race, and age, and all of that, but getting outside of your neighborhood, getting to know your neighbors in your city, and bringing that sense of unity to Chicago and getting rid of the division that is so evident in that city. I think that that would change everything again. I don't know what kind of words I could use to convey that passion, but I think that that would be the message I would want to send to people.
1: I love that. Here's a question that I ask everybody. Okay. It's probably the only question, you know, one of the few questions of this whole conversation that I ask everybody, but this one is, it's important to me. Um, and it's really the it's really the question, right? So uh, someday you're gonna die, many many mm-hmm. years from now. Mm-hmm. I've been asked to give your eulogy. Your students, your neighbors, your family, your friends, everybody's there to celebrate and mourn your life. And again, for some odd reason, I'm giving your eulogy. <laughs> what do you hope that I would say over your life, over your legacy, to the people that love you and appreciate you the most?
0: My hope is that. You would say, or you would bring my students up to say that I provided the ceiling of my life to be the floor of young people's lives, that they could take all that I have achieved in my life and worked for in my life, the questions that I've asked and let that be their beginning place and grow better, you know, live more full lives than I do, more meaningful, more impactful lives than I did, and that they would do the same for their children or their students, or you know, the people that they um, impact. I think that would be the biggest thing I would I would hope for my life.
1: That's a beautiful idea. I love that. Thank no you. one said it quite like that. That's a That's a great legacy. And I also like that you were like. Actually, I don't want you to give my. You <laughs> have the students come up. <laughs> you're the first person that said that. I like that. No, you're not giving it because you're you're just some dude. The kids get to come <laughs> up and give it. I love that. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you wished I would ask, or anything you want to communicate? to the Let's Give a Damn family?
0: Yeah, um, first of all, I wanna communicate that I am not an expert in anything that I'm talking about um, as far as you know, everything with social justice and especially racial injustice and specifically, uh, racial injustice in Chicago. But I think that I've been in a really beautiful place the past three plus years where I've been able to be invited, like I said, into a community where I look different than most of my coworkers and most of my students and I've learned so much about shutting up and listening. Yeah. That has been so huge. And so that's something that you know, I want to convey that like I'm not I'm not the the expert in this, so to speak, but but I've learned a lot and that has mostly come from listening. And so just encouraging people, especially white people, especially mm-hmm. people who live Privileged lives to be quiet, to listen, to ask questions, and to get to know other people outside of your comfort zone, and to listen to different perspectives, and to be open. That's, I mean, I think that's huge. And I think that the only reason that I'm here today, you know, that I didn't quit after my first year teaching at this school is because of that, because of sitting down and listening and asking the hard questions to both other people. But also to myself.
1: That's the beautiful thing, though, right? About giving a damn and you know giving a go at changing our world is that we don't. You don't have to be an expert, right, to start doing it,
0: right? Yeah.
1: That's what keeps people from doing stuff, mm-hmm. right? I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Messages or or people that tell me, oh, I I love this and I love what you're doing and I want to do more of this, and then you know. I see them just squandering opportunities away left and right. And why? Because somewhere along the line, they convinced themselves, I can't really have an effect. Right. I can't really affect change here uh, because I'm not at a certain level, right? I don't know enough about it. And yes, we should be educated, 100%. Another key thing that you said was just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Just shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> like stop, right? But both of those Absolutely. things come together so well that you don't have to be an expert. Go to the people that are affected by these things. And that's... That's why I think a lot of people don't do it. It's hard work, it right? Is. What you're choosing to do is hard work. Yeah. You are you are saying, I'm not the expert, I'm gonna sit and listen, and that takes years to do. Yeah. It's not an overnight thing. You don't get to go to one community meeting
0: and no. then say,
1: cool, I know about redlining, I know about food deserts, I know about all these things that are happening. No, you don't get to do that. No. It's days and months and weeks and years mm-hmm. of listening, of learning, and just keeping at it, right? right. And I think a lot of times what people do instead to like ease their conscience is they, you know, I'm not saying this is bad. There's complexities here. But like instead of sitting and being a student and putting the time in, they'll hand five bucks to a homeless person. Mm -hmm. They'll, oh, okay, conscience eased. They will send a donation to uh, this charity, right? Conscience eased. Like, boom, I did my thing. I'm good. Again, I'm not saying those are all bad. Are they as effective as they could be? No. Like a lot of times it's just wasted. Like you literally should have just flushed your money down the toilet. But mm-hmm. that eases the conscience. I don't have to put in the hard work. Right. And what you're choosing to do is say, I don't know everything. This is gonna be hard work. Yeah. And I'm in it. I'm in it to and win it. Right? It's exactly
0: what I'm asking my students to do.
1: Right. And so, right.
0: you know, if I'm gonna ask that of them, I have to do it myself. And I have to model that. I have to, you know, be honest with them and say, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the solution to this problem, but let's find one together. Yeah. And in the same way that, you know, our, our my coworkers and I work together in figuring out issues in our in our school and in our classrooms and, and in our city. And I think that it's a much bigger picture, too, of, you know, we work with a lot of different activists and organizers in Chicago, and I'm consistently learning from them, and my mind is consistently blown. But then I get to go and share that same inf- information with my students. And so it's like modeling that for them is enough for me to, to stay in the game and to yeah. keep doing the hard work and doing the research and being uncomfortable because I get to see that result. And I know that everyone doesn't get to see that, you know, that fruit, but do it anyway.
1: This has been an absolute pleasure. As I say, absolute, (laughs) absolute pleasure. No, seriously, this has been super great. Um, I learned so much from you. I know that we are going to learn so much from you, everyone listening. Uh, thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Nick.
1: Dear friends, thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Kara Bryant. Per usual, show notes for this conversation can be found by visiting podcast.letsgiveadam.com. This podcast was created by me and edited by the amazing Chad Snavely. We have an incredible conversation with Lou Blaustein coming at you next week. You won't want to miss that one. It's incredible. Same time next week. See you then. Much love.